we were swimming through trees that were still standing in the bottom of the lake. The lake had been flooded back in the 1950s, and the trees were still standing because of this cold water and this wet environment. They didn't rot. They just stood there. So we were swimming through a forest of trees in the dark <laughs> with lights, my very first dive. Episode 49, Scuba Diving with Kurt Linville. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today, we're here with Kurt Linville. Many of you know him already as Kurt, the host. Kurt has done a lot of adventure sports in his life. Uh, we've heard about some of them already, but we wanted to talk to him a little bit today about scuba diving. Kurt, let's tell some stories and have some fun. That <laughs> sounds great, Travis. You know, for the listeners, um, we decided that we wanted to do a podcast where we interviewed each other as co-hosts from time to time. And the reason is because we want you to get to know us a little bit better. And we think it's just kind of fun if we can do these kind of personal get-to-know-the-host kind of stories. So looking forward to it. Right on. Well, let's go. So you're here to talk about scuba diving. Um, scuba is one of those things that I got to admit I'm a little afraid of. My past experiences with scuba diving are a little frightful, but I'm hoping that the stories you have to tell are uh, a little bit more uh, – uh, have the ability to incite people to to try it out themselves. So take a few minutes and tell us about yourself and your connection to scuba diving itself. Well, it – Actually, most of my scuba diving experiences have had a little bit of excitement to them, and that's one of the reasons why I would encourage people to try it. It it takes you completely out of your normal element into a whole new world. Um, but let's just rewind a little bit. I was 16 years old when I started scuba diving, and the modern practice, meaning today's practice, is that you go to some type of a scuba shop and you sign up for classes and they take you through a, a careful step-by-step -step regimented program to teach you all the ins and outs of scuba diving, how to be safe, what you can expect to experience. They teach you how to do all sorts of fun things before you do an open water dive and get your test and get certified. Well, my experience was completely different. I had a good friend who was uh, several years older. He was a very experienced scuba diver. And matter of fact, he had been trained in scuba diving kind of along the lines of the Navy SEAL type stuff, which was a very rigorous early approach to scuba diving. He was one of the people that got involved not long after Jacques Cousteau developed the system. So anyway, he taught me to dive. And so my experience in my first few dives, um, those experiences were pretty wild. I was 16 years old, like I said, so I was fairly young, but I was a very accomplished swimmer. And when I learned to dive, it opened up a whole new world for me. It was a lot of fun. I want to share some of those stories, but I just have to preface it this way. The way I learned to dive is not how people learn to dive today, but it does make for some really fun stories. 
you're making me imagine you down there under the water with a big old bell bell helmet around your, your head <laughs> and breathing like the old pictures you see. <laughs> that was before Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> but it was almost that bad. <laughs> right on. So why would you encourage people to take up scuba diving and explore it for themselves? You know what? Scuba diving... I think it's the it's the only way, short of being an astronaut, that you can go out and try something that's completely otherworldly. And yes, the oceans, the rivers, the lakes, the places that we dive, it's still part of the planet Earth. But let's face it, we're land people, right? We're not fish. And when we get in the water, it's a whole new experience, not only in that, you know, we're breathing underwater and we're floating. It's like flying in the air. It's like being on an alien world. But all of the life around you and in scuba diving, you will see more life than any other thing you could possibly do. I guarantee it. The life around you is completely different than anything we see on land. I mean, we all know what a fish is, but it's not just fish. I mean, they're manta rays. They're octopuses, you know. They're all sorts of shellfish and crustaceans and... The, the plethora of different types of fish, it'll blow your mind. And some of these fish are way bigger than we are, and it's a three-dimensional world. I mean, the fish aren't just running along the surface of the ground, right, like we see on land. No, we've got stuff that's over you, under you, behind you. So anyway, it's it's an amazing experience. I would encourage people to do it, I think, because you can experience things like that that you'll never experience on land. I would also encourage people to give it a try because of the sense of flight. It's one of my favorite things about scuba diving is when you're in really clear water, you are floating, so you don't get the feeling of falling at all, but you can see down to the bottom and you can soar through um, whatever you're diving through. If it's a river with a current, it's especially amazing because you just fly like an eagle. Um, it, it's... It's an experience that you just can't have any other way. So I would encourage people to give it a shot. I don't say that scuba diving is as exciting as some of the other adventure sports for me personally, but that's because I'm very comfortable in the water. To me, it's no big deal to be in, under, on water. But for people that find water to be a little bit more of a challenge, I think scuba diving can be as exciting as skydiving is for some people, for me, it's more about the experience than it is for the excitement. But any way you cut it, it's a it's an amazing sport. It's a great hobby. It gives you something to do when you go to uh, a beach vacation and get bored. And it will allow you to experience this planet in ways that you cannot experience any other way. Yeah, it's absolutely otherworldly. You know, I I had alluded to uh, my fear of scuba diving in the intro, and that stems from uh, scuba diving in the Long Island Sound. It's the only time I ever did it. You interviewed my father just recently about sailing, and we used to be out on that boat, and he had scuba tanks on the boat just to to be able to check out on the propeller if something got wrapped around the propeller, or, you know, boat maintenance and whatnot. So he said, go ahead and take the tanks and go scuba dive, go, go check things out. Well, I didn't even have a weight belt on. So I was pretty much just, you know, swimming around on the surface with a scuba tank and looking around. Well, if anybody's familiar with the Long Island Sound, it's a very dark and murky water. And 
I've got to be honest. I must have used three quarters of that tank of oxygen in five minutes. I I was breathing so heavily <laughs> just because, you know, I you can't see your hand in front of your face and all of a sudden some weird fish with two eyes on one side of its head and no eyes on the other side of its head comes swimming by you to check you out and it startles you and you start using more oxygen. <laughs> but I do understand it's, uh, I mean, it's a bizarre, beautiful and colorful, colorful world under there. Um, it's, it's got to be a fantastic journey to, to go down there and explore. Absolutely. Well, I have to say that with proper training, a lot of that, all oh, that scariness just goes away because you know what to do. And I was well-trained in my first dive, but that doesn't mean it was not without incidents, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I would encourage people, you know, get proper training. Scuba diving really is a remarkably safe sport as long as you know what you're doing. And there are really only about two things that you have to know. One is don't stay down too long. Uh, that is kind of paired with don't go too deep, right? Because the depth takes more time. The, the second thing is don't hold your breath. If you can remember those two, call it three things, then scuba diving can be a very, very safe sport. But it is exciting, especially when visibility is low and you're in an environment that's just so completely different from what we experience day to day. Right, right. Well, it is exciting. So if it's so exciting, then tell us a story of your most amazing experience that got you hooked on it. I think I'm going to have to tell you two, and I could probably tell you dozens because scuba diving is full of amazing experiences. Um but one that I thought was just fantastic, I was down in Florida with the same guy that taught me how to dive, and we decided to do a river dive. And most rivers are so silted up that you really can't do it because there's just nothing to see. You're just essentially floating under the water with nothing to see. But we went to a river that was crystal clear. It was spring-fed down in Florida, and there were lots of springs in this river. And we boated upstream... And then on the way up, I have to mention, um, alligators were on the shore. And as the boat went by, they would get scared and jump into the water and swim around. And there are even monkeys in the trees. And so <laughs> those people in Florida probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but long story short, it was not a deep dive at all. But we got into the water. And I remember that I just have a, a little 50 cubic foot tank, which is lightweight and really versatile. And as we drifted with the current down the water, there were places where springs boiled up in the bottom of the river, and those would make big, deep holes. And then you would get past that deep hole, and it would be shallow again, maybe only eight feet deep. And then there would be another deep hole, and then it would be shallow. And there were freshwater fish and, like I said, alligators and everything else in the river to see. But so these the, deep holes are where the mud was actually eroded from the spring, you're saying? It was a sandy bottom. Okay. Which is why the water was clear. It was crystal clear. But these deep holes is where the sand had eroded away, where springs were shooting up into the bottom of the river. So as we drifted down, first of all, you're moving along at a pretty decent clip, probably, I don't know, three knots or something. But, you know, when you're scuba diving, that feels pretty fast. And the bottom would just drop out from under you and you would get to these deep holes. And you really got that sensation of flight. It's kind of like if you've ever seen... A video of someone flying an airplane right over the surface of flat ground and then they go out over the Grand Canyon. 
and the ground drops away and it makes you gasp because you realize that you have instant altitude, right? It was the same sort of an, a feeling in this river. And I just started kind of rolling and twisting and doing turns and flowing with the current. It was effortless because you didn't have to kick your fins to, to move forward. And the feeling of flight was so intense. You know, you just stick your arms out and feel like Superman or something. It was amazing. Beautiful, beautiful experience. And just the excitement also of knowing that you're swimming with alligators. <laughs> I mean, the odds of them doing anything are very, very low. But it was just amazing experience. So that was one. Really got me hooked on the sport. But every dive gets you hooked on the sport. Another was down in Cozumel. We had been diving. Uh, it was a five-day trip, and we are doing ten dives. And this was our ninth dive on the last day. And the dive master that was leading our group said, you know what? We don't take tourists here, hardly ever, but you guys have proven that you're all experienced and you know what we're doing, so we're going to take you to this special place. And the reason they didn't take people there was, to, number one, to protect it because it was so amazing, but number two, because it was really easy to go too deep because the the seafloor there was, uh, it's probably 150 feet deep. So we were open water divers who were not going to go below 100 feet. And so, long story short, we ended up in a labyrinth of coral, these spires that stood probably 75 feet up from the bottom of wow. the ocean. And it was just a maze, and it had amazing currents that pushed you through. And there were manta rays that were f flying with us as we drifted through these 75-foot-tall coral spires and channels, and it literally was a labyrinth of just amazing beauty so much variety of fish life and so much beauty in the coral itself i remember that dive specifically as one of the highlights of my diving career it was outstanding those are the sorts of experiences that you usually don't get to have but it was really neat The name Joe Rust is synonymous with record-setting adventures in taking the adventure and motorcycling industries by storm. In 2013, she set the record for first woman to have ridden around the African continent solo, no backup and no support vehicles. In December of 2014, she became the first female brand ambassador for BMW Motorrad, South Africa. Then in February of 2015, she became the first internationally accredited female off-road instructor for BMW Motorrad in Africa and the fourth female instructor in the world. For world-class motorcycle training solutions, visit www.joerust.com. That's J-O-R-U-S-T dot You take the time to prepare for an adventure, planning where you want to go, learning strategies to get there, and connecting with experts to guide you, right? Shouldn't the adventure into college and career receive the same kind of in-depth research and attention? Off Trail on Purpose provides individualized coaching and data-driven guidance to help clients from 15 to 25 years of age start their adventure into adulthood with confidence. When so many people are feeling lost, you can have the sense of direction. Get started at www.offtrailonpurpose.com. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Will you help us spread the word about the show? First, tell your friends to give us a listen. You can also help us out by taking a minute and going into iTunes to subscribe, then rate and leave us a review. Thanks for being a part of our show. 
you paint a good picture of it. I I've had a taste of it myself. Uh, only in that we've my family and I have gone down and and swam with dolphins down in Florida. And when you're done swimming with the dolphins, there's other things you can do in the park. And one of them was a basically a lagoon, a man-made lagoon in there that they have coral growing and they've stocked with manta rays and whatnot. And and like you said, that feeling of flying, you're just you're just in the water. We were just snorkeling, but you're in the water looking down on top of these manta rays that are literally flying underneath you. They're only about five feet below you. And you're just all kind of swimming around in the same path. You know, they're completely used to you, of course. But it really gives you a, a taste of what it would be out there uh, in the ocean um, scuba diving for real. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. So certainly people when people get training scuba diving could be completely safe but I'm sure there are events that occur that can go a little awry so do you have a good story to tell our listeners about a time when things did not go right I do let me preface this with describing a little bit about modern day certifications for scuba diving um because what I'm getting ready to tell has nothing to do with that <laughs> but it, it matters so when you get certified now, you spend a lot of time in the pool learning the equipment. You learn how to take all the equipment off and put it back on under the water. You learn how to purge your mask. You learn what to do if you run out of air, how to buddy breathe off of someone else's octopus regulator. You learn how to use a buoyancy compensator vest so that you can stay neutral in the water, neither rising nor sinking. You learn how to use that buoyancy compensator vest to float on the surface if, if you need to float for a while. You learn how to watch your gauges. You learn how to not run out of air. You learn how to not go too deep. All of these things make scuba diving safe and enjoyable. Um, my first dive was nothing like this. <laughs> you, you learned the other way. <laughs> I learned the other way. So I already mentioned the guy that taught me to dive, he was old school, and he was very experienced and very skilled, um, but he was one of these guys who, who would like to push the envelope of the sport a little bit. So the first thing he did is he gave me a manual to study and I did study it. I, I was, I had the knowledge, but not the experience after I finished studying this scuba diving manual. And then it was Labor Day weekend. And I remember it well, the first day he said, let's go snorkeling. Now we were in a lake. Our visibility was a maximum of about six feet, pretty dark, but at least we could see something. Right. So we snorkeled for a day. And I know why he did that. He was wanting to prove that I really was comfortable in the water and that I could manage myself in uh, in that environment before we tried to go down with scuba gear. The second day we put the gear on and I have to describe what the gear was because this is very pertinent. Um, instead of an 80 cubic foot aluminum tank, which is kind of the standard, we had three 40 cubic foot steel tanks on our backs at once. That's 120 cubic feet of air, which is enough air to get in trouble because you can stay down too long with that much air. Right. And that's the first thing. Second thing, no buoyancy compensator vest. Now, keep in mind that the gear in the water is neutral. It's not like it's heavy and it's pulling you down, but there's no buoyancy compensator vest. And as a result of that, no weight belt. He wanted to make sure, if anything, we were slightly buoyant. So we had no weight belts to, to balance us out. So it really was a matter of swimming down and swimming up. 
because we were neutrally buoyant. So we started our dive once again in a lake. We went down in this dark lake to about 75 feet on my first dive with scuba gear ever. Normally, it's in a swimming pool at five feet, right? <laughs> but we're down at 75 feet deep. It's very dark. We hit the thermocline, which is where the warm surface water meets the cold bottom water, probably at 40 feet. And below that thermocline, the water was frigid cold. And we had to have lights even to see. It was so dark. Wow. We were swimming through trees that were still standing in the bottom of the lake. The lake had been flooded back in the 1950s. And the trees were still standing because of this cold water and this wet environment. They didn't rot. They just stood there. So we were swimming through a forest of trees. Wow, seventy-five. That's yeah. In the dark <laughs> with lights. My very first dive. It's actually fairly extreme diving. And, of course, I was kind of excited, probably breathing a little bit faster than I needed to. And I ran out of air. Now, I didn't have a a pressure gauge to tell me how much air was in the tank even. All I had was a depth gauge. And I mean, it was kind of a ridiculous way to dive. People would not do it this way these days, but it's what we did. And I looked at him and I thought, wow, I am out of air 75 feet deep and I really am not sure what I'm supposed to do here. And this is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even have octopus regulators. So there was no spare regulator where I could breathe off of his tank. So this is like so, the old Bond movies where you have to take it out of one guy's mouth, put it in the other guy's mouth, exactly. and then he starts tapping on your shoulder. Give it back. Give it back. <laughs> <laughs> it would be exactly like that. But I just looked at him with wide eyes, and I did the slit your throat sign because I didn't know for sure what sign to use. But actually, I lucked out. That was the sign for I am out of air, right? And he immediately understood, and he just motioned for me to go up. And I thought, What? I have no air. I'm <laughs> Don't give me air, man. <laughs> give me air. He just pointed up. And so I started swimming up, and I did a free ascent from 75 feet on my first dive. <laughs> so, wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> it, it, it scared me. I have to be honest. It scared me. But when I broke the surface and spit out that regulator that was doing me no good, and breathed a fresh, a, a fresh breath of, of nice warm air, and the sunshine hit my face, I felt more alive at that moment than I had probably ever felt up until that day. And it also taught me something, and that is you really can come up from deep depths without air, without too much trouble, because the air in the tanks um, is released by the regulator as the pressure goes down. So I got a couple of breaths as I came up, and, you know, it only took about a minute to get to the surface. So you breathe two or three times in a minute, you're going to be okay. And I made it up just fine. And I realized then that scuba diving actually might not be as scary as, as some people thought. So here's kind of the punchline. When he certified to scuba dive, he did it the old Navy skill way. He or Navy SEAL way, sorry. He did it the old Navy SEAL way. He actually had to do a free ascent from 100 feet just to get certified. So that's why he wasn't worried about my measly 75-foot ascent. But today when people get certified, they normally do a free ascent from less than 20 feet and just to show that they know how to do it. But anyway, it's kind of like pulling your reserve parachute on your first jump. 
Yeah, when I grew up in uh, Connecticut, we had access to the submarine base, and one of the the things they had on that sub base was the training towers, where they would take divers down, uh, you know, to the bottom and insert them into the the water down there, and it was to train them to do the the ascent, like you're talking about. And these towers were tall. I just, as a kid, I would look at these things and think. How on earth would you ever hold your breath that long? You know, because you're a kid, you get the bottom of a pool, the deep end of a pool, and you think you're never going to get back up to the surface. You know, <laughs> you're, you're going to suck in water before you get up there. So as a kid, I'm looking at these towers thinking, how is any human able to do that? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we really need to do a uh, podcast on free diving sometime for people that try to set depth records with no scuba gear. <laughs> Yeah, I it's agree. Amazing. That's an insane sport. It's amazing how how deep the human body can go and and how well people can do. But anyway, so that was a scary experience, and I did learn some things from it. One is make sure you have all the gear. You know, the modern gear that he didn't have um, really does keep you safe. I would have known long in advance that I was running out of air. I would have been able to surface slowly had i run out of air i could have buddy breathed on his octopus regulator these are all the things that make the sport really safe the way i did it gave me a lot of uh experience and confidence but it wasn't the the way that it should be done yeah absolutely it's it, training is a must at this point it's kind of crazy not to go through it takes a little time takes a little bit money but uh just you know, think about the safety involved and, and get the training Oh, yeah. There's another story I should share that's uh, completely different, but still on the same uh, kind of topic here. We went to Pinning Camp, Florida, and scuba diving in Pinning Camp is delightful. It was really nice. But he had a 12-foot inflatable Avon boat with a 35-horsepower Evinrude motor, if I remember correctly. It was kind of overpowered for the boat. But we went seven miles out to a reef that we wanted to dive, and it was in the afternoon. We uh, set our anchor and dropped into the water, and it was a glorious experience. We saw, I don't know, probably close to 100 barracuda. We saw a nurse shark. We saw eagle rays with 10-foot wingspans. We saw more different kinds of fish than you could ever imagine. I mean, it was glorious, beautiful coral reefs, all that kind of stuff. But I was noticing that I was kind of rocking back and forth at about 30 feet deep. You know, there was something going on. Well, I was almost out of air, and so I signaled to surface. We went up to the surface, and a storm had moved in. And there were waves that were, oh, six feet easy, eight foot on the big ones high. Wow. Wow. And, yeah, it was huge. And here we are seven miles out in the Atlantic. And I, you know, when you're in the water like that, especially without a buoyancy compensator vest, um, your eyes are only about six inches above the water, right? And so I'm looking in all directions, no boat. There is no sign of a boat. There is just monster waves and bobbing up and down. And he looked at me and said, well, let's go back down. And I thought, what on earth? <laughs> Why did we go back down? I'm almost out of air. Let's but, find a boat. <laughs> he realized that the waves were so rough that swimming up there, especially without a buoyancy compensator vest, was just ludicrous. So we went back down, and I was thinking, man, I am going to run out of air down here. But he was very experienced, 
and he knew the direction that the boat was. I had no clue. I was completely lost. But he knew by the the shape of the the bottom of the ocean floor, by the coral reefs that were there and that sort of thing, which direction to go. And he just took off like an arrow. And so I followed with my heart thumping out of my chest. And sure enough, within about five minutes, we uh, were on the anchor line. So I wish that that was all the story was, but it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) We surfaced. We got back in the boat. Now, remember... This is a 12-foot Avon inflatable, and now we're in six, seven, eight-foot waves. White caps, they're starting to curl and break. It is intense, and this is a very small craft, very lightweight. We strapped all of our scuba gear in the bow of the boat to try to give it more weight, and then we headed toward shore seven miles away. The wind- so you're in nothing more than a, essentially a river raft with a, an outboard motor on it at this point. Yep, we're in a raft with an outboard motor. And the wind was blowing from the west very hard. And every time we would crest a wave, we were traveling east, the wind would catch the bottom of this river raft with an outboard motor, right, which is very light, and try to flip it upside down. And so he yells at me against the gale, to go up into the bow of the boat. He's worried that the, all the equipment we have isn't heavy enough to keep us from capsizing end over end. And so I went up into the bow of the boat. But let me describe this for a second. Seven-foot wave, 12-foot boat, more than half the boat up in the air. Right. Do the math, 14, 15 feet to drop until the boat hits the surface of the water again. That's an exciting fall. <laughs> well, I'm hanging on to the bow line like I'm riding a bucking bronco and there's really nowhere to sit. And if I did sit, it wouldn't matter because every time the boat would drop, I was airborne (laughs) and the boat would drop and I'm hanging onto this line. And then I would come down onto the boat, you know, with a, a 12, 13, 14, 15 foot drop and slam into the boat when it hit the surface of the water. And this happened on every wave over and over and over for seven miles And I thought that I was just going to get beat to an utter pulp. Absolutely exhausting. I have never experienced such hard work probably in the rest of my life. And we finally broke into the the mangroves there and got out of those waves right at sunset. The next day when we woke up, we were both so worn out and sore that we didn't even try to move. We just kicked back all day long and tried to recover. It was an amazing experience. Very, very scary. But you know what? It was one of those experiences that I will never forget, an amazing adventure. And that's part of why adventure sports are so cool, because we make memories like these that not only do these memories um, enrich our lives, you know, give us a good story to tell or or a memory, but they also say, wow, if I can do that, I bet you I can do a lot of other stuff. You know, it gives us the courage to try things and to and to go big when we have to. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have awesome stories to tell when you get back, you probably weren't on much of an adventure, you know, but to be able to tell those stories and share them with your friends is, uh, I mean, that's that's half of it already, you know, just, just being able to share with that. Oh, yeah. Well, I know that that was an experience. And keep in mind, I was pretty young. I was a teenager at the time. And so that was a huge stretch for me. But it was part of what grew me into a man. 
Well, I'm picturing this boat, you know, you, you're in a 12 foot boat and not only do you have seven miles to get back to the shoreline, but this boat is just not going across flat water. This boat is going up a swell and then down the other side and then up it again and then down the other side. It's progress is not fast whatsoever. So you picture a boat going seven miles. That's a long haul for a little raft like that. But then you put these, these waves in the middle of it and that must've taken you guys forever to get back there. Oh yeah, it was hours and hours and hours. <laughs> it was it was amazing. That's cool. Well, we normally take this section of the podcast to let our guests plug a little bit about themselves. Maybe it's a book they're writing or a business they're operating. Uh, maybe it's a nonprofit. So, since you're one of the the co-founders of 180 Tech, let's tell people a little bit about 180 Tech if they don't already know. All right, here's our. All right, uh, two-minute infomercial. 180 Tech is our company, and we've been having a ton of fun with it. It's it's really cool. Our goal is to innovate outdoors products for people so that they can do things in a different way. And so we have two different um, wood-burning or natural fuel-burning backpacking stoves. They're lighter than traditional fueled stoves. They're more environmentally friendly because they don't use toxic gas. You know, you don't have to carry the canister into the woods. They're lighter than the canister and the and the traditional stove. You don't have a canister to take back to the landfill. Um, you work with nature to build natural fires and to cook your food. And they're very, very efficient. Just a few twigs is all it takes to boil water. We also have what we call the Bearline Plus. It's a Bearline system. But it's also a utility system. It's not just for bear lines. We set up a way that you can, first of all, have a Cordura throw bag, which holds all the gear of the bear line itself. You put a weight in that bag, and you can easily toss it over a tree limb. If you've tried to throw a rope over a high tree limb, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's difficult. People resort you just to end up with a mess. <laughs> oh, it's a mess, a tangled mess. Uh, people try to tie a rock in the rope, and then they throw it, and then the rock comes out of the knot and hits you in the head. I mean, that's just, it's the life of trying to get a bear line up in a tree. But with a cord or a bag, you just hook the bag to your line, you put a little weight in it, you have a nice, safe way to get your line over a tree. So that's the first advantage. Second advantage is we have a cross line, and then we also have a drop line. And that allows you to hang the food between two trees. Bears do climb trees. They go out on limbs. And they can get your food out of a limb very easily, right? Um, so when you use a cross, you can lift much heavier loads because of mechanical advan advantage, because of the reduction in friction. So you can, I mean, you could put two heavy backpacks together and pull the whole pack up into the tree if you wanted to. The system will certainly lift those loads. The rope that we use is 550 paracord, and those of you who are familiar with paracord know that it has 101 different uses in the woods. But with the block and tackle system, you can also use it, for instance, to work a, a canoe up a bluff, or even for motorcycle recovery, or to drag a log out of a road, because you can set up a block and tackle system. It's really an awesome way to have a multi-use tool that's very light, and it solves that whole, how do you keep the food away from the animals problem to boot. 
all of these products are made in the United States, not only the United States, but right here in Colorado. Uh, I know we have a lot of listeners uh, who listen to us from Colorado. These products are made right here in your own state. So give us a, give us a look. It's 180tack.com. Okay. Um, how would you say that scuba diving is a benefit to society? Hmm. I've been thinking about this. You know, we put together the Adventure Sports Podcast, and I'll admit it, I'm a little bit of a deep thinker, right? Sometimes when I think of adventure sports, I think, is this just hedonism? Are we just seeking pleasure and enjoyment, and there's no end result that's beneficial? And it's one of the reasons why I like this question. Because I, I answered the question to myself and said, no, it's not just hedonism. This actually has a benefit. And as we ask this question to our various guests, they all have their own unique perspective on it. But I've come to realize more and more that our daily grind is not healthy. You know, you're, you're sitting in that eight to five job and it's stressful and productivity is everything. And it's constant focus on a computer screen these days. You're not getting physical exercise. You can easily be stressed out. You're not getting the sense of good community. I mean, you're probably in about a seven by seven foot cube where you're even walled off from other people that are in the business. This is not a healthy way for humans to exist. It's necessary in our corporate world today. And I'm not saying that it's wrong, but I'm saying that we have to have an alternative. And I think adventure sports of all types provide that alternative, but I want to go another step. When we sit and watch TV, then it's lazy entertainment. And, you know, the dopamine and endorphins and things in our mind that get triggered by that type of lazy entertainment are actually addictive but not only are they addictive, but our body gets trained that we feel good by being sedentary and letting someone else entertain us. And I like to say, watching someone else to pretend to have fun is not what fun really is. It's a lie. <laughs> so another reason why I think scuba diving or all adventure sports need to be a part of our lives is so we turn off that television, get away from it. It's a trap. It's an addiction, and it, all it does is, is make us weaker and make us have a smaller life and less of an existence. Now, I love to watch a good movie about once a week and, and laugh and unwind, but I never unwind as well watching a movie as I would if I went out for a mountain bike ride or a scuba dive or a hike or something that gets me out into the real world where I can really experience all of these things and get some physical movement, get the enjoyment of the scenery and the fresh air and the exercise. So adventure sports play a very important role, especially in our modern world. And scuba diving particularly, um, I, I think it's really cool because it offers such a huge alternative to so many other adventure sports. So if you're a person who enjoys water, who likes to experience things that are just really otherworldly, it doesn't have to be physically exhausting. It's just a freedom of, of flying and floating and, and seeing things that you just can't see any other way. Then scuba diving is probably for you. And there are so many benefits to having a hobby, an adventure sport. 
And so I encourage everyone, find your sport, and scuba diving might be it. Well, the whole point of this podcast is to try to inspire people who are driving to and from work or maybe, you know, frittering around the house, doing their chores, this or that. Um, we want to inspire them to go out on the weekend or in the evenings and go try something new that they heard on our show. Um, you may be a hiker, but you've never scuba dived. You know, go listen to the podcast, listen to those episodes and get inspired to go try these things and, and get out there and have some fun for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Vela Adventures is Colorado's premier provider of all-inclusive adventure outings just for women. Camp Vela Summer Day Camps offered this June and July provide exciting Colorado adventures, pampering perks, and fun activities all packed into one day. Make 2015 a summer to remember. Make it your summer. Visit www.campvela.com to choose your adventure and your location. And don't forget to use promo code 180TACK to save $10. Some mud and obstacle runs are built for pain. Some are built so that you have to train. But Muckfest MS is built for laughs. Muckfest MS is the fun mud and obstacle 5K for everyone. There's no special training required. All you need is a sense of humor and a pair of sneakers. All fundraising proceeds benefit the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Sign up at muckfestms.com. That's M-U-C-K-F-E-S-T-M-S dot com. We'll see you in the mud. about we tell the listeners a funny story involving your scuba diving experience <laughs> oh boy i have a lot of funny stories and you know what i just have to repeat again if i hadn't done adventure sports i wouldn't have these funny stories i wouldn't be able to reflect on them and, and laugh and, and be encouraged right and so you just got out and you gotta go out and do things so that you have these experiences. But anyway, funny stories. Okay, once again in Florida. This time we're cave diving. But no, we're not cave diving certified. So we were not allowed to take lights or anything with us into the caves. We could only go as far as a natural light would allow. That way you know where the exit is, right? But still, we had to try it. So there was one cave that was just kind of a, a crack in the rock with an enormous spring gushing out of it. And as we tried to swim down into this cave, the current was so strong that I, I literally didn't have the strength to do it. I had to grab the walls of this rock fissure and pull myself down. And I pulled myself down into this, and my, my uh, snorkel, was flapping in the current and banging me on the head, and my mask was bouncing back and forth on my face. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a major current, right? And as if that's not funny enough, we didn't stay down long. We certainly weren't holding our breath. We were going to have a quick ascent. There's no way around it with that kind of current. I remember I turned around with my feet and my hands braced against the sides of this crack, and I was looking up at the sky 
and when I turned loose, it was like it was like getting shot out of a cannon, right? <laughs> Just went flying up out of this cavern back to the surface, and uh, that was a funny experience, an amazing experience. But the real kicker came as we were trying to get back to the car. We had walked a long distance to get to this cave before we jumped in with our scuba gear, and there was a river next, you know, right next to this cave exit. Well, the river, like most of Florida rivers, was uh, full of tannic acid from the swamps, so it's just brown out, zero visibility, right? But we thought, we'll swim down the river, and that way we can just enjoy the swim, we can get closer to the car so we don't have such a long hike with all this heavy gear. As we're going down this river with river with zero visibility, um, we still have our gear on, you know. So we have our mask on. We're using our snorkels. We're looking around. Every now and then, there would be a spring that would feed the river, similar to the cave that we had just come out of. And when that spring fed the river, the clear water would wash in to this browned-out tannic acid swamp water. yeah i know what's coming (laughs) (laughs) what i didn't know until i started getting glimpses of of clarity was that the river was full of gar (laughs) the ugly fish (laughs) the ugly fish the prehistoric ugly fish with teeth needle teeth that hang out of their mouths and eyeballs an inch across that just stare at you like like a shark's eye and <laughs> the clear water would hit, and I would look, and there would be gars swimming with me. I guess they were watching me or something, but I kid you not, less than 18 inches away, we are face-to-face, teeth-to-eyes, <laughs> and talking about a start. Holy cow. I would try to swim away from them, but I was probably just swimming into the other one next to me on the other side, and then it would silt out again. Couldn't see a thing. And by this point, you know, you're getting pretty jumpy. And then a little bit of clear water would mix in again. And sure enough, there they are again, swimming right with you. And they're as big as you are. They don't weigh as much, but they're six feet long. Holy cow. <laughs> so that, to me, was a, a scary but funny experience. And luckily, I didn't have to tangle with them. They just surprised yeah. the crap out of me. <laughs> That's a spooky thought, man. I, I don't know if that is nature's funny joke or nature's smooth move. You know, that all the ugly fish live in the waters that are dark and murky so you can't see them. <laughs> you go down to the Bahamas and the Caribbean and you got the clear water you can see for what seems to be a mile. And you got the gorgeous fish, you know, the, the clownfish and all the colors you know, down there. So what's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think... <laughs> Humans are just wired like probably every other living thing on this planet. We're wired to be afraid of the unknown. So what we can't see is way scarier than what we can. When I was in pinning camp, I saw a shark up close and personal. It wasn't that scary because I I saw him. I saw what he was doing. I, you know, I, I guess I could prepare myself a little bit for it. But when you get a flash of a gar's needle tooth mouth right in your face and then it goes away again <laughs> that's just psycho i'm sorry you put a gar in fresh water and let me get used to him for a month or two i'm still not going to call him pretty <laughs> no <laughs> probably not 
Okay, I wanted to take a few minutes in this episode since it's just you and I, and I wanted to thank our listeners for taking the time out to go to iTunes and to rate us and leave the reviews. You guys have been doing an awesome job, and we really, truly do appreciate you putting your comments out there, letting us know what you like, uh, certainly let us know what you don't like. So I just wanted to read a few before we uh, signed off of this episode. So here's one from... It's Adventure Seeker 2015. It says, Great guests and entertaining questions. A great listen when you're hankering to go outdoors or looking to find your next adventure. Great pace and variety of topics keeps it interesting. I like this one by SK Hudicky. It says, What a great episode. I'm only 15 minutes in and I'm so inspired. Thank you, Kurt and Leon. You know it really tugs hard at the adventure experiencer quester in me. I so long to do something like this with my seven-year-old daughter to create a great experience that involves meeting all kinds of people, traveling great distances, challenging assumptions, and making connections. To me, that would be the greatest education for her. Your show is really stirring things up in me. Hey, I've got one for you. Anya Bartholomew, I love the in-depth exploration on hiking. Hiking is healing. Hiking is living a successful, balanced life of peace and joy. I love the topic and how it can transform an ordinary life into adventure. Well done. That's from April 6th. Okay, how about this one from Jody uh, from Women Taking the Lead. As someone who would like to be more active outside of the home and the gym, I found this podcast to be a great resource for ideas and know-how. I have a feeling I'll be enjoying more time outside before I know it. And here's one from Dave. This Adventure Series podcast is awesome for anyone who's currently into having fun in the outdoors or those who are thinking about it. You can learn a lot from the guests and can even find yourself deciding to try something new and make some exciting memories. I highly recommend this to anyone who wants to live life to the fullest and even cross off some items on your lifetime bucket list. Great job, Kurt. I'll read that part for you. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that, but thanks, Travis. <laughs> right on. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of uh, plenty more reviews out on uh, iTunes. Take a minute. Go out and read the rest of them. We really, really appreciate you guys taking the time. And if you haven't left a review, by all means, let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. We want to do this show for you, and we want to get your feedback. So thanks a ton for going out and doing that. Absolutely. I agree 100%. All right, Kurt. Well, it's been fun. I hope the listeners had fun listening to your goofy, zany uh, scuba stories. And uh, <laughs> it'd be awesome if they go out and try it themselves. And who knows, I might even try it in some clearer water where the beauty beauty fish are. Yeah, just don't do it the way I did. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll keep the uh, the bell diving rig out of the equation. Well, thanks, friends. Thanks, guys. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us. And don't forget to find the click to call button on the Adventure Sports Podcast website and tell us your awesome story about your amazing adventure. And don't worry, the voicemail is fully automated. You won't be talking to any humans.